The other thing I'd say in case you're visiting with us, we are deeply committed here to expository preaching where we take a text and we just work right through it. We're starting a series on the life of Joseph found in Genesis 37 to 50. And we thought we might do something a little bit different to introduce that series. So I'm going to kind of give you an overview of those chapters in a little bit of a different, different format from the perspective of Joseph as he retells his story. So join me as we hear about the abuse of Joe Jacobs. Good morning. My name is Joe Jacobs. Although I'm from a very different culture than yours, very different time period. We have more in common than you might think. I understand in your day there's a lot of talk about the problem of pain. I'm very familiar with that. You see, I just buried my father about five weeks ago. And yes, he lived a long life, but it's always hard to say goodbye to a father, my father Jacob. However, when I look at my life, I think what brings me probably the greatest pain is the pain that comes from the abuse that you suffer from people that you know and trust. You see, I grew up in a home with real sibling rivalry. It was a blended family. One father and four mothers. Thirteen children, twelve boys and a girl. My mother, Rachel, was loved above everybody else, all the other wives. And all of my dad's love and attention was given to her. When I was in my early teens, she died giving birth to my brother, Benjamin. And so all of the love and the attention that my father had directed toward her was now directed toward me. I mean, it was obvious. One year, he gave me this beautiful multicolored tunic and gave my brothers nothing. I, I suppose in your day, that might like be coming to one of your holidays like Christmas and you giving one of your children a leather jacket and all the other children vinyl windbreakers, something like that. My, 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 my brothers hated me. And I have to tell you, I wasn't probably always wise in the way I shared things. I, I had a dream. And I was convinced this dream was from God himself. And, and in the dream, sheaves bowed down to me, and the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to me. And, 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 and it was reflective that all of my family would bow down to me. And, and in my excitement, I, I shared it with everyone. It, it, it didn't go so well. And I suppose to make things worse, my father made me the chief administrator of the home in charge of all my brothers. They thought I was a snitch. 
But I was actually looking over them to make sure they were shepherding the way my dad wanted. I never remember growing up any of my brothers saying, hey, Joe, how's it going? No. Just cold, glassy-eyed stares. When I was about 17 years of age, we were living down in Hebron, and my brothers were watching the flocks up in Shechem, about 50 miles away. You had to go where, where the grass was. And my father sent me up to check on them to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And when I got there, I couldn't find them anywhere. So I asked around and found they were another 15 miles in Dothan. So I traveled up there and finally found them. And I have to tell you, look, 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 look. I know they did not like me. But I never suspected that they would do what they did. As I approached them, they, they ran toward me. They tackled me to the ground. They ripped off the multicolored tunic, tore it off, and they threw me in a cistern. It, it's like a, a tank to hold water, if you will, from the rain. But this one was dry. And when I fell in there, I almost broke my elbow. And, 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 and I, I, I called up, we can work this out. Uh, let, let's talk about it. And they laughed. And they mocked. And they ridiculed. Oh, they, they finally let me out. But you know what they did? They sold me. My, my own brothers. They sold me to Midianites as a slave. And sent me 250 miles south to Egypt itself. I was scared. I was 17. I, I didn't know the language. I didn't know anybody. And I was a slave. Got there. And they put me up on one of those slave blocks. And, and you know who bought me? Potiphar's Potiphar, who was Pharaoh's chief executioner. You know how nervous that made me? I came into his home not knowing a living soul, and I just tried to be faithful. I didn't know what else to do. And God, my father always said I kind of had a knack for administration. It wasn't long, within a year, that I was the chief administer over all of the other slaves in Potiphar's house, answerable only to him himself. That, that was good, but I was still a slave 250 miles away from home in a culture which I knew nothing about. I remained there about 10 years. And then again, somebody that I had known abused me. It, 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 it was Potiphar's wife. Uh, it, it started with subtle innuendos, you know what I mean? She would say something that was suggestive, but I wasn't quite sure that it was. And you know, you know what I'm saying? I tried to kind of shake it off and, no, nah, no, nah, she couldn't have meant that. But they kept coming. 
And it went from subtle innuendos to direct statements of wanting to be with me physically. At one point, I told her, this would break the covenant that you have with your husband and that I have with my God. But she didn't care. So I just decided I will stay as far away from her as you can. One day, I remember walking into the house, and it was eerie how quiet it was. It just didn't feel right, you know? And and sure enough, as I was walking down the hallway, out from one of the side rooms came Potiphar's wife. She dropped to the ground. She grabbed me around the knees, and she said, now is our moment. I kind of figured it probably wasn't the best time to have a discussion. So I squirmed out of my tunic, and I ran as fast as I could. And as I ran, she swore to me that she would get me. She did. You know what she told Potiphar? She told him that I had tried to rape her. If anything, it was the flip-flop of that. He didn't believe her. If he would have believed her, he would have had me killed. But, but instead, he had to save face. So he had me thrown into the royal prison. And there I sat and tried to do the best I could, do as I was told. And again, I kind of rose up and I was the chief administrator over all the other prisoners, answerable only to the jailer himself. but I was still a prisoner. After I'd been there about a year, Pharaoh's chef and cupbearer, that's the guy that would test his food to make sure it's not poisoned, which is, you know, a little tricky job sometimes. But they were both cast into the prison while I was there. They had a dream. Couldn't figure out what it meant. And and God gave me the interpretation and understanding of that dream. I had some really bad news for the chef. I wasn't sure quite how to tell him, but that he was going to die in three days. But but that's what it was. So I, I tried to comfort him, give him some hope. Wasn't sure what to say. But the cupbearer, I told him in three days he would be restored to his previous position. And I asked him when he stood before Pharaoh to tell him I had been kidnapped from my family. I I had been maligned by Potiphar's wife and he assured me he would take care of all of that for me. And so I waited. And I waited. And I sat in that prison for two more years, a forgotten man. And again, somebody who I'd come to know and at some level trust betrayed me, forgot me. And I wondered, as a 30-year-old man, (laughs) what could that dream I had when I was 17 possibly have meant? You know, 
There are a whole set of temptations that come your way when you're powerless. I, I, I will confess to you. When I was in Potiphar's house and I initially had those comments from, from, from his wife and so forth, I have to tell you I entertained what she had said in my mind. I shouldn't have, but I did. Considered it, wondered, would it be better to do that? Thought about some of those things. I didn't do it. But I can't say I didn't think about it. I, I, I thought maybe pragmatically it would be something to consider. But I didn't. And I have to tell you, as I sat in prison or traveled down to Egypt itself, there were times when I thought, where in the world is God? And there's times I believed my doubts and doubted my beliefs. And, and my faith flickered low. But all I can tell you is it didn't go out. They were hard times. There's a whole set of temptations that come your way when you're powerless. But there's a whole other set of temptations that come your way when you're powerful. You see, I didn't remain in that prison. Pharaoh had a dream. And he had a dream that nobody could figure out. Seven fat cows coming out of the Nile. Seven scrawny cows coming out and eating them. Seven ears of corn, very nice. Seven terrible consuming. It was none of the magicians. Nobody could figure it out in all of Egypt. Right about that time, the cupbearer remembered me. <laughs> you should have seen the way I looked. Boy, did they clean me up. Shaven, the whole works. I was pretty stinky. And, and they ushered me right into the presence of Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh shared the dream. And that quickly, God gave me the interpretation. It's kind of funny. Dream had gotten me into a whole lot of problems. And now God would use a dream to get me out. So I told him, the dream meant this. There would be seven years of plenty for Egypt and all the surrounding areas around Egypt. And then there would be seven years of great famine. And if Pharaoh was going to be ready for the seven years of great famine... He must prepare now during the seven years of abundance. Do you know what happened? <laughs> Joe Jacobs became the chief administrator of this entire project over the entire nation of Egypt. I was answerable to one man, Pharaoh. Funny how God does those things, isn't it? And for seven years... We built silo after silo after silo and filled it with grain again and again and again. As far as you could see, there were silos filled with grain. We would be ready for the seven years of famine. And those years came. And it wasn't long within a year 
that people from all over Egypt and all over the areas surrounding Egypt were coming to Egypt for grain that we had saved. The greatest shock of my life was to look one day as people would come and bow down before me one after another and we'd help them out. I look back and there were all my brothers except for Benjamin. They, they didn't recognize me, but I recognized them right away. And they, like everybody else, came down and bowed before me. And in that moment, <laughs> that dream I had had 20 years before finally was fulfilled. <sighs> what do you do when your brothers show up again after 20 years? I could have done anything I wanted. I was directly under Pharaoh. Do you see? And I was not looking for an opportunity to get revenge. I can't say I didn't think about it. But I had a problem. This was the problem. I knew what they had done with the favored son before, what they had done to me. The favored son now was Benjamin. And I wondered, had they really changed? And if I merely said, hi, it's Joseph. Not only would they have heart attacks, but, but they immediately would tell me anything I wanted to hear, wouldn't they? So I concoct, concocted a plan. And when I met them, I pulled them aside, saying, you're not from Egypt, you guys might be spies. And they said, no, 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 we're not spies. I said, did you have any other family members? Yes, yes, we have another brother by the name of Benjamin, which I knew. I put him in prison for three days because I said they were spies. When I brought him out, I chose to keep Simeon back in prison and I said, take your grain, take your food, go back. But when, if you come back to Egypt again, you must bring your other brother. And I sent them away. And I waited. And I waited. I waited a year. So they came back again. I had to wait till for all that grain to run out. And sure enough, they came back again with Benjamin. And, and when they did, I pulled them aside and even had a meal with them. They still had no idea who I was. And at the end of the meal, I gave them all their grain and I told them they could leave. But right before they left, I had one of my servants put some of my silver cup, my silver cup, the special things that I drink from in Benjamin's bag as they left. And I waited for them to get about an hour out and I sent soldiers after them. They brought them back. I told them I was so kind to you and you stole my own silver. Oh no, no, we would never do that. Open up your bags. They opened up their bags and when Benjamin opened up his bag, there was my silver. You know what I said? I said, you may all go free, but Benjamin will stay here as my prisoner. 
what would they do with the favored son? Do you know what happened? <laughs> Judah. Judah, who was the one that said, sell him to the Midianites, stood up and asked that I take him and let Benjamin go free. And I knew in that moment that they had changed. So I revealed myself to them. (laughs) Boy, were they shocked. And they begged me to forgive them. And I tell you, I did. That quickly, I forgave them. My father and other servants all came down, and for the last 17 years, we have provided for them in Goshen. I told you my father died. Do you know right after we got back to Egypt, they were back in front of me again, begging for their lives. They were convinced that I had never forgiven them. That the only reason I said that was because my dad was still alive. And I told them, no, honestly, I have forgiven you. They, they, they couldn't imagine that. Maybe, maybe you can't imagine that either. H- how could I forgive them? Why would I forgive them? Was it easy to forgive them? No. It, it wasn't because the offense was minor. It was major. Do you know I never saw my father for 20 years? My grandfather died while I was in Egypt. And the idea that your brothers could hate you so much that they would sell you hoping that they never see you again. No, that's a great burden. I I didn't forgive them because the offense was light. God knows I didn't forgive them because I'm some kind of a great man. You know why I forgave them? Because I have come to know a great God. (laughs) I know now. As soon as I was elevated, as soon as the famine came, I clearly knew the purpose of God. That God had put me here in Egypt. They meant evil against me, yes. But God meant it for good to put me here in Egypt to provide for them in a safe place. I know God's purposes. But I have to tell you something. For 13 years, from the time I was sold as a slave till the time I stood before Pharaoh, I had no idea what God's purposes were. And, 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 and as I, I worked hard and sought to be faithful, what kept me going so often was a sense of God's presence. Didn't like my situation. Didn't understand it. But I, I, I knew God was there. How else would I keep bubbling up to the top? In Potiphar's house or in prison. But can I tell you, 
There are times in that journey when I could not even sense the presence of God. I just felt alone. And the only thing I had to hold on to was a promise. Promise given to me as a 17-year-old. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had visions from God. All I had was a dream. But in your darkest moments, a promise is enough. You see, I have come to know that when you rest in God's gracious sovereignty, you can see your abuse from others differently. I've chosen not to see God through my circumstances, but to see my circumstances through God. I understand that you have a saying in your holy book that says something like, all things work together for good to those that love God. You can bank your life on that. I have. And I've seen God to be faithful. Just wanted to share my story with you today. It's not really my story. It's really his story through me. In the words of our own culture, shalom to each of you.